And we're going to be covering quite a bit of parables this evening. We're going to be covering mostly, uh, well, we'll cover one primarily and then others um, following that as a result. But in the context, I think it's important to understand the context of this chapter of Matthew chapter 13. What, what is going on at this point in Jesus' life, he's developed a significant following. He's developed, uh, when he's gone out to teach and preach, many people come out to listen, many people come out to hear for various reasons, whether their motives are pure or not, that, that is to be said. Um, however, there are a lot of people that, that come out to listen to what this man Jesus has to say. And among those people, some do want to know what he has to say for the very reason they're curious. And then there are others who want to know uh, because they don't like him and they want to find a way to trap him and to uh, confront him. And in fact, the previous chapter of Matthew chapter 13, in chapter 12, verse 14, we see this very thing. It says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, him being Jesus, how to destroy him. So whether to destroy him, uh, his reputation, we see that all throughout the Gospels when they've tried to trap him with, with a, uh, a question or even tried to ultimately kill him. But they already were seeking plans to destroy Jesus in some form or fashion. So you have those people. And then you have the disciples, the 12 disciples who are there listening and, and learning from him as well, just as much as the other listeners, because they are on this journey as well. They are fresh on this journey. And all these people have come to hear this man named Jesus preach, teach, and tell them um, how to be made right with God and what, as we'll find out, what the kingdom of God entails. Now, whenever you come to, or whenever they came to uh, this crowd, they were probably expecting very, maybe a straightforward message of, um, you know, very much a list. This is what you need to know. However, that's not necessarily how Jesus taught, and we're going to find that out tonight. But even up to this point, he has performed miracles. He has healed people. He's called the disciples. Uh, John the Baptist has been in prison, and, and that he's also uh, sent his followers to ask Jesus if he is who he really says he is, because he was even doubting. So this is where we really are in the text, in Matthew chapter 13, whenever he begins to teach in these parables. And before we start in the beginning of chapter 13, I want us to skip all the way ahead to verse 34 because we see what Jesus does. He says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds, these things we'll cover in a second, but all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So everything he did in this chapter was, was presented to them in parables. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he uh, quotes this prophet that we find, uh, the psalmist, in the 78th Psalm. So this is where I want us to actually start this morning. We're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to start in the 78th Psalm, and we're going to look at the first four verses of this psalm. Psalm 78, verse 1 says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the, to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. This psalm starts by saying, give ear, pay attention. And he says, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This word incline means to bend low, to turn aside, basically to really focus and to pay attention to what is being said. Why? Because I will open my mouth in a parable. As we read these parables, you really have to focus. You really have to listen as to what is being said. And it's interesting to notice that this psalm really is prophesying what Jesus is doing, preaching in parables. Christ is fulfilling this prophecy of speaking in parables, opening his mouth in a parable, and utter these dark sayings from old things, things from the old covenant coming to life, him being the, uh, the son of God, him being the Messiah, and the kingdom of God that has come down. And he's, he's fulfilling this prophecy. Now, when we come to parables, a lot of times people uh, go to two extremes with parables. One extreme is they say, these are so complicated to understand. I can't understand them, so I'm, I'm going to dismiss it, not pay attention to it. That's one extreme, and I would caution against that because we're going to find one of the parables uh, warns what happens with the people that don't understand these parables. So that's one extreme. The opposite extreme is sometimes we really look into every little minute detail and say, well, this has to mean something, and this has to mean something, and this has to mean something. We, we over-allegorize it. And, and, and sometimes some of these parables are allegory, and, and we will see that as well. But there, throughout, throughout history, even church history, there has been some interesting interpretations in some of these parables. For instance, early church history, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, early church history, some, some believe that the man beaten represented the sinner, and the priest in, the, in uh, this parable represented the, the law. The Levite was the Old Testament sacrifice. The Samaritan was Jesus. The one who, uh, or yeah, the Samaritan who paid the bill was Jesus. The inn was the church. And anybody have an idea of who the innkeeper was? Nah, nah. <laughs> good guess. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> this is, yeah, Paul. Interesting, isn't it? So, <clears throat> very, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, interesting interpretation, but it's just not correct, okay? <laughs> so, we, it, we have to be careful interpreting these parables. Now, there might be a couple of things that you can glean from each of these parables, but typically a parable, the basic interpretation of a parable is delivered with the idea of one central point. There might be some subtopics, some, some other things in the parable, but it typically drives one major theme, one major point home. And so we can't take either extreme because verse four we see we, we cannot hide these from their children 
We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation why the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The purpose of these parables are to show the glorious deeds of our Lord. So we cannot avoid these parables. We have to come to them head on. We have to see what they mean. We have to examine them and we have to take out the truth contained therein. So, We've been all throughout the Bible already. But we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 13 to talk about these parables. So what, what is, you know, why, why did Jesus teach in parables? Why parable? Why did Jesus teach in it? Well, first, the disciples asked this question. It's important for us to, to know this. Look in verse 10. We read, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So they asked, the disciples asked Jesus, 12 disciples asked Jesus, why are you speaking to us in parables? There are a couple of things we need to, to understand. First, in this chapter, throughout the chapter, he's speaking to different audiences. There are eight parables in this chapter, okay? Eight parables. The first four, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching to uh, the crowd because in the first two verses, it says there's so many people, he has to get in a boat, step back, get in a boat, and teach. So the first four parables, he's teaching to a large crowd. Among them are the disciples. Among them are those who are curious and really want to know. And among them are also skeptics, people who do not like this man, people who are uh, planning to destroy Jesus. And then the final excuse me, the final four parables are specifically to the disciples. So that's important to understand. You also have to step in the shoes of a first century Jew at this point in this parable. It also helps us better understand it. But Jesus gives a twofold reason as to why he speaks in parables. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So one reason is to reveal the truth to the believers, and to those who are wanting to truly believe. These parables that Jesus gives, they're, they're to enlighten the minds of those who are listening, those who are really wanting to know who this Jesus is, those who already believe, those who want to believe and need to have that faith. It's that faith seeking understanding, as Anselm put it, faith Seeking understanding. Blake, he loves Anselm. I knew he'd like that. So this faith that seeks understanding. A lot of times people go the other way around. You want to have that understand. You want to understand everything there is and then have faith. But it actually takes faith in the Lord Jesus first to truly grasp and gain that understanding. And so he says it's for those who want, that have that faith, who want that faith, for them to understand, but on the other side of the coin, it says, but to them, it has, uh, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has, uh, excuse me, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. That word understand is going to come up several times in this chapter. So follow along with that. So the second 
reason is for those who have habitually denied who Jesus is, denied his teaching. It's such a simple truth, but it goes over their head because they refuse to believe it. Now, people say, well, Jesus is cruel for hiding this to some of the people, hiding these truths of the kingdom to some of the people, but it's not cruel at all. First of all, they're responsible in their unbelief. All they have to do is trust in who he is and believe But on top of that, think about this. Jesus has already performed miracles. Jesus has already preached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already said who he says that who he is, and they still have not believed. They've hardened their hearts. So he says to them, they they do not understand this. And then we come to the parable of the sower. We're gonna spend pretty much the whole the rest of the time on this parable because um, it's important for us to understand it. Why must we understand this parable? Jesus, in the account of Mark, actually says why it's important to understand this parable when he, uh, when he records uh, the reason of him giving this parable. Mark chapter 4, verse 13, and he said, he being Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable, this parable of the sower? How then will you understand all the parables? So he's basically saying, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to ex- understand the rest of these parables that I give. So we're going to really camp out in this parable because I believe if we understand this, if we grasp this, we'll be able to understand the remainder of the parables that he gives. So let's cover it. In verse 3, he says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now remember, as I've said a couple times, it's important for us to know this. It's important for us to understand this. This first parable, he's preaching to the crowd. He's speaking to the crowd. All of those around him are listening to the parable of the sower. And there has, there's a sower sowing seeds on the land. And it seems like every a piece of soil is bad, except for one. So why is he teaching this parable? What's the point of this parable? Why is he starting out teaching to this whole crowd this parable? Well, you have those, as I mentioned, who did not like him, who were conspiring to destroy him, conspiring to kill him. And he interprets the parable of the sower. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So is the problem is the problem the sower? Uh uh. Is the problem the seed? What's the problem? The soil. That's the problem. In every instance, whether the seed grows 
and produces much fruit, it's dictated on the soil in which it's planted. Remember the crowd. Who was the crowd? Who were the crowd? The crowd was the skeptics, the haters, those who loved Jesus, the disciples, those who were curious, maybe those also who just wanted him, but wanted him for an ulterior motive. So this first seed that is represented, it's it's pretty much representing a hard heart. Because it says, the one who does not understand it. Now, does this mean they don't logically comprehend what Jesus is saying? That's not necessarily the case. It's not the fact that he's presented this message, whether it's in this parable or his previous teachings, and they just can't comprehend it. It's the fact that time after time, he's taught them and he's preached the kingdom of God, and they continually reject it. They do not understand how this can work. How this man, a carpenter's son, could be the coming Messiah, could be God in the flesh. There's no way. I do not understand this. It's that hardened heart that refuses to believe. Repeated rejection over and over again. We see the next, the next one, as Jesus explains in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So what kind of heart is this? What kind of uh, seed or soil is this. This is the superficial soil. This is the superficial heart. The one, it says, immediately receives the word with joy, and as soon as something happens, as soon as persecution, the sun comes and scorches it, it can't handle it, it withers away. These are those who maybe come to Jesus for, as I just mentioned a second ago, the wrong motives. I, I just... If I come to Jesus, he'll give me this, 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 this. I'll have everything I need. Sign me up. That easy believism, as we call it. And that's, this, this is nothing new. Sometimes we might think this is new in the church. It's nothing new in the church. It's happened since really the first century. You study early church history. You see when Constantine, Constantine made a Christianity the, the official religion of the state, what happened? It became a social status. And as a result, what happened with that? Pagans start coming into the church. So you get all these false converts, and this kind of covers one of the parables that we'll look at in a second as well. Pagans start coming into the church, teaching false doctrine, bringing in false practices that unfortunately are in many places of worship today. So it's, it's been prevalent. Paul writes about this as well. This is the superficial heart, the one who has not come to Christ with the right motives. And then we see the next heart, the next soil that's represented in verse 22. It says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and what? It proves unfruitful. So this is the uncommitted heart, the distracted heart, the heart that maybe comes to him, wants to come to him, but as the rich young ruler couldn't give, couldn't give everything, 
couldn't uh, sell all he had to follow the Lord, couldn't give up his pride. The cares of the world distracted him. And as a result, Jesus perfectly, obviously, describes it as thorns just steadily engulfing and choking them, killing them. So we have the uncommitted heart. Then what do we have finally in verse 23? As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one, this is the one who hears the word, and there's that word again, and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. This is the fruitful heart. This is the one who understands, I need this man named Jesus. I need him. Not for anything other than him to be my Lord and my Savior because of who I am, a sinner, and I call out to him. So why spend the most time here? Because Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand the others? I would be remiss to ask which soil represents you. Which one do you find yourself in? There's only one that's really been made right, and only you know that. I don't know. Nobody else here knows, but you and God. So as we put that parable together and understand it, it helps us shape and understand the other parables. The parable of the wheat and the tares talks about it throughout this, this passage of uh, really that parable and the parable of the dragnet. True and false converts. Some, uh, a farmer planted some seed in verse 24, sowed good seed, but at night the enemy came and it says, while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so there were weeds mixed in with the wheat. And the servant said, do we need to separate it? Do we need to take care of this? And, and the farmer said, no, this, this will be taken care of. And he, he explains it. Jesus explains this parable. This one does have allegory in it. He says, um, the field is the world, in verse 38, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So he's saying, there are going to be true converts, false converts among you. It's not your job to decipher which one is which. Now, we, we can observe them. We can uh, possibly have an idea by the fruits, as Jesus says, but it's none of our business. It's not our affair to try and sort it out. He's going to take care of that on judgment day. It's important for you to know which one you are. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't know your heart. You don't know mine. Just because you're on staff here at this church doesn't mean your heart is right with God. There are plenty who have been deceived over the years as to whether they have been made right with God, deceived in their own hearts. So it is vital for us to understand it. This is why he keeps preaching in these parables because it is essential for them to understand where they are. Parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. The kingdom grows from the seemingly insignificant Old Testament covenant people to an extravagant end. And it permeates, Christianity permeates everything it touches, just like the leaven. 
started with 12 men, these disciples, one of which betrayed him, so really 11, and then they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, look at what we have. It permeates everything it touches, not just, temp- uh, not just temporally, but eternally. So we have that. We have the parable of the hidden treasure and the costly pearl. This is probably, honestly, my favorite one. Verses 44 and 45, as we wind down, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That is the value of the kingdom of God. That is the value of coming to this faith. Now remember, this, this parable that he is telling is just to the disciples at this point. It's not to the whole crowd. And he's saying, these people sold everything they could to buy this treasure, to buy this costly pearl. Everything they had, all they possessed. And he's saying it was worth it. He's telling these disciples, you did the right thing by following me, by trusting me by choosing to cast your nets aside, to cast your occupations aside, and follow me. Christianity is worth losing everything if it comes down to it, is what he's saying. It's invaluable. The kingdom of heaven, this is the kingdom of heaven. The scarlet thread of redemption, what we have studied these past months, months and months, has come and we, see, we have seen in Matthew 4, Matthew 3 and 4, where we see it preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see this teaching of what the kingdom of heaven is. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom is here. I am he. This is me. And so one day, this eternal kingdom is going to come down and he's going to rule and reign eternally. But until then, what do we do? What, is, what does this mean? I said it's important for us to know, to step in the shoes of these first century Christians, but what does it mean 2,000 years later? I mean, do we just dismiss this? Of course not. We should crave this invaluable kingdom that is to come. Thy kingdom come. We want it to come. But at the same time, we are representatives of this kingdom. While this kingdom, while Jesus has not come and reign eternally yet, established his eternal kingdom here, we are living representatives of what is to come. While we're here at church, while you're at work, while you're at school, and you are going to be surrounded by people who do not believe. And we are that living representative of the kingdom that is to come. And if they don't choose to submit to the Lord, then they will find themselves in what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the net and in the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says, throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this should, this should terrify them. This should terrify us to the point to share this kingdom with them, with our lives, with our lives, our actions, and our words. And by our very lives that they see this kingdom that is coming and want a taste of it. 
that God is good, and that they will want him. We're his kingdom representatives, Gambrel Street. I love this church. I love what we stand for. I love what we do. It's important for us to see what God has blessed us with and then the community in which he has placed us. Seek opportunities to reach out to the world around us and share with them this beautiful kingdom that will come one day and reign eternally, our king who will reign eternally, so that they may too one day say, thy kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have revealed your word to us. You explain it in ways so simple that a child can understand it and submit to you, but also in ways that we cannot fully comprehend. And that's how it should be, and I thank you for that. We serve a Savior, a Lord, a King, who we can know who is transcendent, but yet we can never fully fathom. And may that drive us to our knees in worship and drive us to humble hearts saying, God, I am yours. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And anyone who is here or watching who has not committed their lives to this king and this kingdom cause, may they recognize the consequences of what that rejection will lead to. And may they see your love and grasp it and call out to you so that they may be a part of this kingdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh!